Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Andrea, music department, kinsmen, everybody that had a part. Stand with me if you would at this time. I want to get to the Word of God. We're here in need to celebrate Jesus. Every Sunday is the Resurrection Sunday, really. Every day is Easter for us. Every, every day is Christmas for us. Amen. Hallelujah. But we are also here to reach out to save others. How? By the preaching of the gospel. The Apostle Paul defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation and the cornerstone of Christianity. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and based on the resurrection. It's what sets Christianity apart from everybody else. There is one other person, I believe, that claims to have gone to heaven as Muhammad. And we don't disrespect him. But I'll say this. Muhammad never came back, proved that he was resurrected. Jesus did. At least 11 times. And at one point, over 500 saw him when he ascended to heaven. Hallelujah. And the eyewitnesses, for the most part, were alive when this New Testament was written. Hallelujah. Eyewitness accounts. We're going to talk about that and some of the living affidavit of the disciple who was there. We're talking about Matthew, and, uh, and he writes his gospel. And, you know, the, 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 the eyewitness accounts of the people of Psalm is really, it is a legal affidavit. And uh, much of it was signed in blood. The sacrifice to life for it. I want to read to you today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and it is about the resurrection story. Each gospel addresses it in different, from a different perspective, a different angle. But when you line them all up and put them all together, it gives you a more complete picture. Each of the gospels do not address this in a chronological order, and there's a method to the madness, and you can put it together. And there is a chronology. But I'm only going to focus on one particular snippet or segment of the resurrection story. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of that. But I think what we will look at is enough. Is enough. Again, to, to validate our faith and to validate uh, the resurrection and the purpose of the resurrection and what it did to mankind. Matthew chapter 28, this is after Jesus' death and his burial. He's already been buried now three days. And in chapter 28, we see this. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Matthew, in his gospel, is the only one that mentions this earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, the guards, did shake and became as dead men. And the, angels, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for ye, for, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. 
He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, past tense, where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and beheld him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. There they shall see me. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to focus on a snippet of the scripture from uh, Matthew chapter 28. And it's when the angels told him to, told the women to come in. And he said, look at the sepulcher. And he said in verse 6, he is not here for he is risen. I want to talk just a little bit this morning about Jesus, the risen Lord. He is a risen Lord with a capital L. And a capital O and a capital R and a capital D. Hallelujah. He is a risen Lord and Savior. He lives forevermore. Rules and reigns in the hearts of men for now. And one day he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Praise the name of the Lord. Jesus, have your way in our midst today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for anointing. Thank you, Lord God, for our joy that is brought by your resurrection. And Lord, we pray for each and every one, Lord, who's here today who has not yet been a partaker of that resurrection power, that you would pour out of your spirit upon all flesh again, even as on the day of Pentecost. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. Refresh on you, O Lord God. Let us glory in your presence. Let us, O Lord, also bow down before you. Let us adore you. Let us magnify you. Let us enjoy the benefit of your blessings and your power. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Clap your hands one more time under the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah. I want to look backwards a little bit today in every major holiday and many principles in the Bible. We have to really look backwards instead of forward. And I would submit to you this morning that we need to not just think. We must look backwards in order to go forward. That's a paradox, really. But uh, we're warned many times in Scripture that we are not to look back. And that's true. Jesus said, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is worthy of me. He said, remember Lot's wife who looked back and turned the pillar of salt. Don't turn back, Jesus said. Jesus warned about the last days that he was on the housetops. Don't go down below to get the stuffs, amen, and try to save it before the end time, before the destruction comes. He's really speaking about not going back to your old ways, not going back to your old lifestyle. Paul talked about his friend and fellow co-worker 
Demas, who looked back and left all, for he said, Demas, having loved this present world, he departed from me. He left me. Hallelujah. Paul said in his own testimony in Philippians 3, to forget those things that are behind. Instead, reaching forth unto those things which are before or ahead of us. But all these scriptures, as he speak of the things that we used to be before we came to Christ. Paul was talking about his pedigree as a Pharisee. The, the things that he learned under, at the feet of Gamaliel. He's talking about his, his past as a Jew according to the law of Moses. And while it had benefits, uh, when it came to Christ, uh, it was worthless, he said. It was but dung. Amen. It wasn't, it, it couldn't even measure up to the knowledge and the excellency uh, of knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's speaking about not looking back at those things that we used to do and not crave after those things or lust after those things that we should perhaps by, by chance fall back into the old lifestyle that we used to pursue. But in, in reality, we, 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 there are some things that we must see and understand. And the only way we can see it more clearly and understand better is if we look back. I'm not talking about living in the past. I'm not talking about dwelling on the past. Uh, but looking forward, hallelujah, is one thing. But looking to the important events in the past to gain perspective for the present. Amen. Amen. It's important to, to remember where we came from and what got us here. And look at, uh, at our path and to make sure that we have perspective that we're traveling on the right road and we're going in the right direction. And we, it was already mentioned here uh, of, of our beginnings with Adam and Eve. Uh, it's important to look back to our beginnings as mankind, to, to remember Adam and Eve and, and how God created them innocent without sin. But with temptation, the temptation of the enemy, our spiritual enemy, Satan, they fell to that temptation and they fell into sin. And God had to cover their nakedness and shame by making them coats of skins by killing animals. And killing those animals meant shedding their blood. It meant that the shedding of the blood provided the skin that covered man's sin and nakedness and their shame, hallelujah, through that blood and those skins. Amen. And so uh, that laid the precedent that without shedding of blood, there's no covering for sin. There is no remission for sin. There's no other way to cover our spiritual nakedness before God. Hallelujah. We need the blood, hallelujah, of the Lamb. Now we must look back to the promises of God and when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that the seed of the woman, of the seed of the woman would come a redeemer, one who will come and redeem all of mankind from sin, so they can live in God, they live with God in eternity forever. And so we must look back on Calvary too, and then look later on from Adam as Jesus came, the second Adam, the Bible calls him. The Bible said, John the Baptist witnessed and testified to him, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus' blood was precious blood. As the song says, it was not just blood, but it was the blood of a spotless lamb. Amen. Jesus was without sin because it was God in the spirit that was that fathered him, that fathered that flesh 
into existence. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, an invisible spirit, invisible human flesh. God came himself, amen, to sacrifice his fleshly aspect of his being when he occupied that body in human form and he sacrificed our own Calvary and he shed his blood. Acts 20 tells us that the Holy Ghost, it's the Spirit of God, amen, that put on flesh and he purchased a church with his own blood. The only time the Holy Ghost ever had a body was in the form of Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus was, the second Adam, born without sin. Hallelujah. The sin cycle was born, was broken because it was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that fathered Jesus in existence. Joseph was not the earthly father. Hallelujah. He was just a stepdad, if you please. Amen. And so Jesus was sinless, and that's what made his blood so precious and so valuable. And that's why that we can look to that blood in faith and trust that that blood is sinless and it's enough to cover all of our sins, to cover our spiritual nakedness. Amen. You see, the blood that God had to spill with animals in the Old Testament could not do the proper job. It could not redeem a man because the blood of an animal does not equal to the blood and value of a human being. Human beings, one human being is worth more than all of the animals in the world. Hallelujah. And then some. There is no value you can place on a human soul. Amen. This is why God had to come in flesh and do the work that, that, that he could not do in the spirit, and that is to shed blood. But it was by his plan. It was by his design. Jesus came to accomplish this very mission, and he accomplished it on Calvary. And then also by his word, he said that he would be raised again, and he was indeed raised one more time. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so as we look back, we see Jesus who was crucified and died on the cross by shedding his blood. Then he was buried, and then he rose again from the dead, just as he said that he would be. In John 2, 19, verse 19 through 21, he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, that means the Jewish ecclesiastical leaders who he was uh, was contending with. And they said, 40 and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear uh, it up in three days? They thought he was talking about that temple of Herod that's sitting there on the, on the temple mount. But verse 21 tells us, John clarifies, but he, Jesus, spake of the temple of his body. Hallelujah. And this is what, uh, uh, what the angel was referring to in, in Matthew 28, that he said, he already told you ahead of time, just as he said. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad God keeps his promises? I'm so glad he kept this one. Praise the name of the Lord. See, we must believe all parts of the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection in order to be born again. There is no born-again born process without faith in the gospel, without Faith in all three aspects of what Jesus did on Calvary. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in order to be saved that we must repent. We must be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin. And we must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. These three steps 
correspond to each aspect of the plan of salvation established by Jesus and preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. In repentance, we identify with his death. In water baptism, we identify with his burial. And receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we identify with his resurrection. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6, 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death. Like, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if, everybody say if. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his, bed, of his death, amen, and baptized in Jesus' name, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. When you get baptized in Jesus' name, you're getting baptized into his death. And when you come up out of that water, you're symbolically doing what Jesus did when he came out of the grave. Hallelujah. You're coming alive with a different set of priorities, a new direction, and a new hope, a new life about to begin with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is why Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Why? Because you've got to believe in every component of the gospel, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, amen, in order to be born again. That's the only way that you can be baptized. Hallelujah. You see, if you did not have faith when you were baptized, if you did not know that baptism was because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, if you didn't understand that, really your baptism is invalid. Now, I know that's a strong statement, but Jesus said it. He that believeth and is baptized. If you take away believeth, if, if you take away the faith in his death, burial, and resurrection and the purpose for why you're doing the baptism, your baptism is invalid. Your repentance must be done in faith, hallelujah, that you're identifying with his death. Your baptism in Jesus' name, you have to understand by faith, amen, that you are appropriating the blood of Jesus Christ upon your soul. And when that name is called over you, that's when the blood of Jesus, that sacrifice lamb, is applied to your soul and you are cleansed. You're given a clean conscience. You're given a new beginning. Hallelujah. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you receive that resurrection. Hallelujah. A power that will deliver you from the jaws of death and will deliver you from the grave. But it's all by faith. You've got to have faith. Jesus again said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Amen. That's why we don't baptize babies. Babies don't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we wait until a child comes to the age of accountability where they can understand what baptism is all about. We have baptized young people. God gives a great deal of discernment and knowledge to many young people at a very early age. We have baptized young, young ones already. My granddaughter is six years old. She was just baptized a couple of weeks ago in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. It's not age. It's, it's understanding. You have got to have faith, amen, in what you're doing and why you're doing it. Hallelujah. Do you see how important it is to God that you and I look back in faith and believe what happened at Calvary? And then looking back and looking at the empty tomb. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
You see, all the Old Testament, as they were sacrificing animals, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah when the Lamb of God would sacrifice His life and would redeem from all those animal sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament. They were looking ahead in faith. All the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament has to be done by faith, knowing that there would come a day when the Redeemer will come and will deliver them from all those sacrifices. And when Jesus came, he was the Lamb, hallelujah, that was slain from the foundation from the world. It was in God's plan to do it that way. He was the Lamb that John the Baptist said that taketh away the sin of the world. That's why the thief on the cross could look to Jesus under the law of Moses because it was not the church age yet. It was still yet, uh, yet under the law of Moses. Hallelujah. And under the law of Moses, all you needed was a, a sacrifice for your sins. That's why the, cross, and the, the thief on the cross next to him could say, you know, uh, Lord, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. And that thief never came off the cross to be baptized. He never had to go to the temple and make a sacrifice there. He didn't have to go to any rituals. Hallelujah. But he had faith in the Lamb of God right next to him. He, he recognized who he was and how innocent he was. You know from his testimony when he was reading. Amen. We read it from the scriptures. Amen. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He recognized him for who he was. And his faith was enough to get him into paradise. Amen. But under the Old Testament, he's not in the church. Amen. The church is a special, separate entity. Amen. And anybody can get it. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, anybody. Hallelujah. But the church age dispensation did not yet begin. The church was not yet born until Pentecost. And that's not another 50 days away. And he, this thief, is as Jesus died under the law of Moses. But Jesus died to establish the new covenant in his own blood. But we look Back to that event. We look back to that. Jesus did that. Hallelujah. And so we must look back and believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. See, there are many times that we see Jesus more clearly in hindsight than in foresight. When you look at uh, Isaiah 7:14, and it's a, a popular scripture that we uh, quote during Christmas. Uh, but I quote it again, uh, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew interprets that in chapter 1, and that it's God with us. Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah the prophet, we call him the messianic prophet. He's got more prophecies than anybody else on the Messiah. He says, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, my, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How do you notice? He says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. A child. Hallelujah. The babe of Bethlehem, born of a virgin. And he says, his name shall be Wonderful. I, I just don't know what, really what his name's going to be, but I know it's, it's wonderful with a capital W as counselor, with a capital C, the mighty God in flesh, the everlasting Father. That's who Jesus was in the flesh, the Prince of Peace. And then he just, he just couldn't get it. He was, he was trying to get it all out, but, but this was as close as he could get. And he was trying to look ahead. And he couldn't see him clearly. But you see us here 2,500 plus years later, we look back and we know exactly who he's talking about. 
our hindsight is so clear. It's crystal clear. We can, we can see Jesus uh, so clearly through these scriptures. Uh, he was looking ahead, and he couldn't see that clearly as you and I see looking backwards. In fact, many of these holy men of God who the Bible tells us were used by the Spirit, moved upon the, upon the, by the Holy Ghost to write as the Spirit spoke to them. And yes, they did, but many times they wrote things they did not really clearly understand. But they were recording it. As God spoke, they recorded it. And it's scripture, and God validates it. God fulfilled it, and many, hallelujah, have been already fulfilled. And just, that's just a, a little part yet that has to be fulfilled. We're almost at the end, folks. Hallelujah. And then Isaiah writing in chapter 53, the, the messianic chapter. Hallelujah. Who hath believed the report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a young child growing up, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, Jesus wasn't that handsome Hollywood guy. You would look at him and you wouldn't think anything special about him. He wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger. He didn't have muscles upon muscles. He wasn't handsome. In fact, quite the opposite. He was quite average. Oh, thank God for average. Well, I want to be like Jesus, Brother J.R. Amen. If Jesus was like that, I'm satisfied. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bible says he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The prophet's writing in the future. Nothing beautiful about him. Nothing that makes us say, man, I, I want to go with that guy. There was nothing on the outward physical appearance that drew people to him. You know, let me just say real quick, it shouldn't be outward physical appearance that by which we want to draw other people to us. It better be the Spirit of God residing inside of us. It's not the outward beauty because beauty is just thin, deep, thin, skin deep. Hallelujah. But the Spirit on the inside, Jesus wasn't a handsome, beautiful guy that we should desire him. Three, he was despised and rejected of men. Well, hallelujah. A man of sorrows. You got sorrow in your life today? You feel rejected, dejected, discouraged? Jesus knew exactly what you feel like. And we hid, as it were, our faces. Excuse me. Man of sorrows unacquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't put value on him. We didn't regard him and didn't give him due respect that he really deserved. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Why? Because he suffered you know, a, a, a criminal's death on Calvary. And everybody didn't know what was going on. He's just another average a, a sinner. He died a sinner's death next to two other sinners. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, the beatings on his back, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This went at his trial before Pilate. Amen. This, quote, this scripture is, is quoted also uh, by Matthew and others. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Why? Because he was the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not. His mouth. Then we jump down to verse 9 and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 12 Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Looking back 2,500 plus years, we can look back and see so clearly that it's Jesus Christ. But the, the, the prophet Isaiah couldn't see us clearly. And so it's good for us to look back. Good for us to look back at prophecy because when we look back, that's when we see Jesus more clearly. It's interesting in, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 20, and I believe it's, it's verse 19, uh, that the scripture tells us uh, that when Mary, uh, the one Mary came to the grave, uh, amen, it was in verse uh, 14, and when she, she, she had said thus, she turned herself back. And saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. It was that Mary Magdalene that was weeping at, the, at, the, at Jesus' tomb. And, and didn't know what happened to Jesus' body. And all of a sudden Jesus was behind her. But he didn't, she didn't know it. She thought it was the gardener. And she was just sobbing and talking. She just wanted to see the Lord. Amen. And then the Bible says she turned herself back. And when she did she saw Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's sometimes when we look back that we can see Jesus more clearly in prophecy. And we look back on our lives, Sister Melissa, we can see the times that Jesus came near and ministered to us and helped us and forgave us and refreshed us and renewed us and restored us and delivered us all over again from a mess that we got ourselves in. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? Oh, the little Mohosah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we got to look back that we may go forward in our walk with God. And we look at the resurrection. It is the climax to the Easter story. It begins dark. It begins with grave uh, clothes. Uh, amen. On Calvary and uh, the arrest on Friday night. Hallelujah. Thursday night, some say. And if you count it out, Jewish calendar, I'm not going to get into that. It was three days and three nights. On the morning of the third day, Jesus came out of the grave, but the resurrection is the important point. It's that cornerstone of Christianity, what sets us apart from all other religious bodies on, in, in the, on the face of the earth. The Jewish religious leader you know, remembered what Jesus said, that he would raise his body. And when we read in Matthew chapter 27, I want to look at those three scriptures in verse 62. One, two, three, four, five. Follow this with me. Now, this is, again, as, as they put Jesus' body in the tomb. He's already there. Now, these Jewish leaders are concerned because Jesus caused quite a stir. And, uh, and so, so uh, they were afraid that, that something would happen to his body based upon what Jesus said about him raising his, his body in three days. 
And verse 62 of chapter 27 of Matthew says, Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, as the Jewish religious leaders came to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea at the time. And they said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver, meaning Jesus, said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Imagine that religious leaders knew it. And yet, when it happened, they still rejected it. Not everyone's going to accept the resurrection story. Not everyone likes Easter any more than just the Easter eggs and the candy and the meals and everything that comes with it. So verse 64, they asked the, the Roman governor, verse 64, command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure or secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. Ha! That'll preach. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, if Jesus decides to come out of the grave, there's no government authority in heaven or hell, hallelujah, that can stop him from coming out of there. No angelic beings could stop him. No demonic beings could stop him. No human government can pass an edict against it. Amen. Because death and life is not in the hands of a government. Although they'd like to think that they are. And it is that way. They're not God's. Amen. God is the author of life and death. Hallelujah. He knows how to raise us from the dead. Make it as sure as you can. All we can do is just send guards there and, and watch. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. They rolled a huge stone in front of it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But three days later, he came out again. Hallelujah. He came out of that tomb. Praise the name of the Lord. See, there's no grave. There's no tomb that man can build that God cannot overcome and come out of. Hallelujah. And we see that three days later, indeed, after his death on the cross, Jesus was risen from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrected. Let me repeat. Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrected. He is still alive. He ascended to heaven and continues to reign even today as a resurrected man who is fully God and fully man. So Matthew 28 begins to tell us in part what happened at the tomb. And, and we began with looking at Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, that's Lazarus' sister. And Mary Magdalene, the woman who, from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. And these two believers are coming to the grave. See, they, they don't know that, uh, that Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea came Already after Jesus died and prepared the body because there was the Sabbath coming, a high holy day. And when, when, the, when the sun went down, they could do no work. They could not do anything to the body. They could not even do any uh, ceremonial work with, uh, with respect to the Jewish traditions and preparing the body according to their Jewish law. So now, after the Sabbath is over, they're coming down to the grave, and they're hoping to get to the body of Jesus so they can, so they can, Jesus, so they can finish 
you know, the, 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 the ceremonial process, uh, which, what they have to do with the body of Jesus. And so here comes Mary Magdalene and Mary to see the sepulcher. And verse 2 says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the entrance, and the Bible says he sat upon it. And at this sight, the Bible tells us also that the Roman soldiers became as dead men. In other words, they turned white as a ghost and they fainted. They fainted. At these Roman soldiers, battle-hardened. Man, seeing the sight of one single angel. Whew. Fiery eyes. Raiment that's white and glistening. Never saw anything like it. You think spears could do any, any kind of damage to that? Oh, how, this is a spiritual experience. Amen. And so they were frightened to death almost. They fainted. And then the two women arrive, and, and they see the soldiers on the ground fainted. And the stone rolled away from the entrance to the sepulcher, and the angel sitting on the stone. And right away, the angel speaks to them and says, fear not. Don't be afraid. And notice what the angel says, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. And it's interesting. This angel didn't scare the women off. It scared the, the, the Roman soldiers, the battle-hardened soldiers half to death, and they fainted. But here are these two women. I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's an angel. I want to see Jesus. Oh, God, help us that we're not after signs, wonders, and miracles and wanting to see angels. I don't care. I'd love to see angels. That's all right. But can I tell you, if we just come seeking Jesus, we just might see an angel. We got to put him above all angelic beings. He is the Lord of lords and the God of gods. He's the King of kings. There's nobody else like him. Fear not, for I know. Aren't you glad God knows everything about us? He knows our hearts. He knows our desires. Don't try to hide anything from him. Amen. When you come to confess your sin before him and you go in prayer and say, God, hey, don't, 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 don't think that, you know, you're telling God something new. He knows all about it. That's why he's creating a service like this so he can create the environment where you can feel comfortable to come and confess it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know what you seek. I know what you're looking for. I know what you're desiring in your heart. And I'm here to help you. Just put your faith and your trust in me. And he said, he's not here. He is risen. As he said. Come and see. Hallelujah. Praise God. See, we, we better remember that, that, that these angels didn't, it's one angel that did the, room, the, the stone. There's more inside. But that angel that rolled that stone away didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could get out. I mean, you see the time, the many times that Jesus appeared before his disciples, he just went right through walls. I mean, he ate fish and honeycombs, and yet in his body, it was a resurrected, glorified body. And I, I said this before, perhaps you weren't here, so I'll repeat it again. Uh, the, the resurrected body is based upon our old body. But it is it, it, the source of, of, the, of, of the strength of the new body is the spirit. The source of life in this physical body is our blood. 
the blood that carries oxygen, the blood that carries nutrients. It's the blood that supplies energy to every part of our body, from the brain to the heart to the lungs. Every little cell in your body is the blood. The blood is a source. But when we die and we're resurrected, there's no longer blood. It's going to be a glorified body, a spiritual body based upon this body. But the source of life will be the spirit and not the blood. And that's why you can do things like, like Jesus did, eat fish and honeycomb, and yet goes right through. You see why, why, why the Roman soldiers' weapons could really not hurt him? Hey, man, they take a sword and he just go right through him. You know? That's why guns and, 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 and artillery and, and nuclear weapons, none of that can hurt Jesus. It's nothing. Because he's in a glorified body. Hallelujah. And so the, the angels moved that tomb away, or that, that, that stone away from the tomb, not so Jesus can get out, but so that the women, the witnesses, could get in. That's why the angels said, come and see. God wants eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses are powerful. And eyewitnesses are more powerful. One eyewitness has more credence than ten ear witnesses. Huh? I'd rather, you know, listen to somebody who's seated for themselves, Brother Drake, than somebody, or it's ten people they just heard about it. Wouldn't you? That's what it's all about. The angels rolled that stone away by the will of God. Why? So that Mary, Magdalene, and Mary Bethany could be one of the first to look in there and see. And then later on, of course, here comes Peter and John. You saw it in the video clip. And Peter began to run. run and, oh, my, that just broke my heart. Peter, the one who decided him three times, it comes. And he's running to the girl. Is it true? Can it really be true? John outruns him. Even in his gospel, he says, so John's the first one to get there and look in. And then comes Peter. He comes the second one. They marvel. It's not here. Hallelujah. Don't believe every video clip, though. You know, the napkin on his head was all nicely folded. We're sending a message. I'm coming back. Hallelujah. But they looked in. See, God was interested in, in creating eyewitnesses. And Mary and Mary weren't the only two. There was Peter and John. And there's others that came. It's eyewitnesses rather than ear witnesses. Hallelujah. Now, Full disclosure, I'm, I'm coming close quickly to an end here. Full disclosure, Jesus was not the first to be raised from the dead. Right? Jesus was not the first. You go back to the Old Testament, Elijah raised the widow's son, the very first one. The Bible gives us an example. It was raised from the dead. Then Elisha and his dead body, for his bones were in the grave already, bleached and dried, and not know how many years, but you know, he'd performed 13 miracles and he wanted to get a double portion of what Elijah did, and he only did 13 when he was when he was alive, and when he died, his bones were in the grave, and so happened there was a battle taking place, and they were burying dead soldiers, and here come these two guys, and in a hurry, because they saw the enemy coming, they'll throw this dead body in the tomb right on top of Elisha's bones. As soon as he hits the bone, that guy jumps right back. I'm telling you, there was so much anointing of God on that man. Hallelujah. He got the 14th miracle, the double portion, when he was dead and gone, his bones bleached. 
second raised from the dead. And we're told also about uh, Jairus' daughter in Jesus' ministry, the, the synagogue leader. And then the widow of Nain, her son, was raised right in the funeral procession. Lazarus of Bethany, John chapter 11, was raised from the dead. But every one of those instances, every individual was raised from the dead, was not in a glorified body. They stayed in their old body, and they have to die again. Listen, God never heals anybody from old age. Mm. It is appointed unto man to die but once. That's true. And by the law of averages, Psalms chapter 90, verse 10 through 12, tells us that three score and ten is the average lifespan. That's 70 years. And perhaps by chance, if your body is strong enough, you'll make it to 80. And if you're stronger than that, you'll make it to 80 and 90 and maybe 100, but not too much past, uh, past beyond that. I don't know anybody over 100 years old in my life right now. You probably don't either. I don't know. There aren't many. Point is, we all die. We all have a lot of time. But when we die, we're going to un- in the grave. But I want you to know that these five instances in the Old and New Testament before Jesus' resurrection, uh, they were just all people who were raised from the dead to the oldness of life, the old body. But Jesus was the only one, the first one that was resurrected. And we say resurrection, we're talking about this new body, a glorified body based on the old, but given, you know, with a suitability and, and given everything that, that you need, the, the, the design and, and glory to live in eternity. The Bible tells us that we're going to be like him. Our body is going to be just like his. Hallelujah. Now, a very quick look at the angels say to these women, encouraging to be sure, fear not, God doesn't want us to be afraid, for I know. He knows all about us. He's not here. He's risen. Praise God. Hallelujah. He said God keeps his word as he said. Go quickly tell his disciples. They were all commissioned to be missionaries, to go preach the gospel, be a witness. See, Jesus did all he could on Calvary. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only begotten body, the only flesh he ever had. Amen. That whomsoever would believe in him would have everlasting night. So that nobody would be condemned, but that whoever believes in him. He loved the world, but he didn't, he's not going to save the world per se. He created the potential for everybody in the world to be saved. But the world has to respond in faith to the work of Calvary. And the only way they can respond in faith to the work of Calvary is by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, so they can have the kind of hope that you and I have. That's why the church's mission is not done until Jesus comes. we got to keep preaching. we got to keep going. we got to send missionaries more. Hallelujah. The world is in trouble. There are millions and billions that have not experienced the new birth. And we've got a job to do. And Jesus trusts us with that job. He did what he could do on Calvary. He created the opportunity for all of mankind. But Jesus does not save nations. He doesn't save countries. He saves individuals. That's why he said, whomsoever will, whomsoever will, come. And I will give to them the water of life freely. A nation, how can a nation, how can a country accept the Lord Jesus Christ? You think that if our Congress passes a law to accept Jesus and his gospel, that all of a sudden everybody in the country will become Christian because they said so? It doesn't make sense. 
He that believeth and is baptized. It's whomsoever will. So you see, don't try to, to, to follow the crowd. Don't try to follow a culture or a certain nationality or a certain ethnic group. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about language. It's not about your past. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter who you are. Black, white, red, yellow, no matter what language, hallelujah. If you're Hungarian, even like me, amen, you speak the national language, amen. If you're just a, a transplant immigrant from the old country to this country, hallelujah. In every country, the response of faith is the same. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will. Andrea, come on back. I want to read one other segment of the Scripture from you, also from Matthew 28, verse 11 through 15. I want to show you what happened to these soldiers. These soldiers that fainted at the tomb, battle-hardened. The Bible says in verse 11 of chapter 28, Now when they were going, the women, going to tell his disciples, Behold, some of the watch, some of the guard, came into the city and showed, shoot, King James, showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. In other words, they told him about the earthquake. These, these, these guards told him about the angel. They told him about the stone being rolled away. Hey, we didn't do it. There was this. How can we fight against an angel? And they were assembled with the elders, verse 12, and had taken counsel. They gave large money unto the soldiers. The cover-up begins. There's always a cover-up for truth. The unbelieving world will always justify themselves not to obey truth. Saying, say ye. So these, 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 not only did they get money, but the elders, these chief priests told them well, what to say. He said, say you. His disciples came by night and stole them away while we slept. That's what they told them to say. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. We will cover you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Amen. Some of the guards came, told the priests. That saying is commonly reported among the Jews. You know, my uncle died about two years ago. He's Jewish, you know, my mom. Jewish on one side, my mother's side of the family. Catholic on the other side. Europe, you don't know who you are. You're a mixture of everything and everybody. My uncle was not an observant Jew, but he was pretty steeped in his, in his past. And I many times I talked to him about Jesus. And early on in my walk with God, he, he'd say this very thing. It was just his disciples that stole his body. And here we are in a 
year, almost 2,000 after the event. And many of the Jewish people say the same thing. I'm not deriding it. They can say whatever they want. I'm, I'm not against the Jewish people. Neither is the Bible. The Bible says they're beloved for Abraham's sake. There's, there's things in the Bible promised to them that have not yet been fulfilled. It will be after the church is taken out of here. There is a future for Israel, whether people like it or not. No matter who likes it or doesn't like it, it's going to happen. God records it, God proclaimed it, and God fulfills what He says. As He said. And so, I want us to look at how absurd this cover-up was. First of all, it said, all the soldiers, tell them that, 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 that you all slept. Every one of the soldiers. Why is it important? You see, all of the soldiers who said they slept, in the Roman law, in the Roman military, the death penalty was given to those who fell asleep on the watch. You mean to tell me every one of those soldiers who knew the penalty for, for sleeping on your, on your guard duty? You're going to go to sleep? Maybe one, maybe two, maybe. All of them? The soldiers slept so sound that they never batter an eye. They never... When the stone was being rolled away, oh man, we were sleeping so deep. We were so sound. We didn't hear a thing, really. And then they were so sound asleep. They weren't aware of the stone movement, but they knew that it was the disciples that stole How did they know that? Really? I thought you were sound asleep. Oh, I tell you what. The world will always find reasons to explain away the resurrection and reject Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know if you have any kind of animosity, if you don't have any kind of resistance to the resurrection story, but I'm here to tell you it happened. The chief priest knew the truth. And they knew about what happened at the tomb. They knew about the earthquake, the angels, the empty tomb, and yet they still chose not to believe. And faith is a choice. And you and I have this opportunity to choose today. Are you going to choose to believe? Or will you reject Him as the world has? The world will always reject Him. But if you got a heart, you got a tender heart and you're looking for something. If you're looking for the one true God, look to Jesus, the risen Lord. He reigns over death, hell, and the grave, and he came back from the dead to prove it. Nobody else ever did. Well, we just lift your hands up right now and just praise him. You praise him. Hallelujah.